Amen. So, we come back to the fundamentals of what Andy was saying, that we need to get back to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, obviously I've been preparing for this talk in the, you know, last, in the last couple of weeks. And um, when I spoke to Andy earlier this week, he said, Richard, you need to listen to Neville about what he's, the latest teaching he's bringing. So I thought, let me do so. And um, I listened to what Neville had to say. And he was basically saying, we need to go back to basics. We need to go back to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get the fundamentals yeah. sorted out. Yeah. He is our rock. So we need to make sure our fundamentals are solid and firm in Christ Jesus. So I thought, oh great, because that's just the subject I want to talk on. Just on the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is to talk about the Lord's Prayer. As we spoke in Luke 11 verses 1 to 4. But I really want to expand it. And just get rid of the religious recital of the, of the, Lord's, prayer, of the Lord's Prayer. It's not supposed to be a religious recital. It's fundamental to all that Jesus taught his disciples of how they can have a victorious life. And um, I just want to go through the story of how the, the Lord's Prayer came about because I wanted to get a picture of how the Lord's Prayer came about and, and the reasons why the disciples were asking all about, Lord, teach us to pray. So... Relax and listen to what I hope the Lord is going to say to your spirit, man, about the Lord's Prayer. But I just want to get some first background behind it before, before I do that. We all know that in these last days, God has said, my house shall be a house of prayer. And we are all called to be houses of prayer, whether that's individually and corporately. Because I believe that the day is coming that we can be a house of prayer the easy way, or we can have the house of prayer the hard way. The easy way is that we learn now to commune with God in prayer. Following the, the example of the Lord Jesus where he communed with, his, communed with Father God t- throughout the day. So we can do that. We can learn to cultivate the time to pray throughout the day. Whether it's a few minutes, a few hours in the morning or evening. But we can co- cultivate the time having, having communion with our God. Because he wants to commune with us. So we can commune, you know, do that daily, do that on a regular basis. And then we can then start to sense what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And then we can then be proactive in, to turn in, in the way we walk. We can be proactive. And we have, you know, as we have continued communion with the Lord, we can avoid certain pitfalls, can't we? Because God has already spoken to us and he's already pre-warned us that things, what, things might happen during that day. So we can, can, if we do that, that we, we are being proactive. Or we could do it the hard way, where we could just wait for situations to arise in our lives, and then we're struggling. We lost our peace. We make wrong decisions. We are anxious, aren't we? So if we could learn to cultivate that communion with prayer as be proactively, then it's going to help us in the long run to save us from being reactive. This is a science term, proactive, reactive. But, you know, these are save us from, you know, having real hardships later on. And it is so important that we do that now. It really is. We know that the dark is getting darker. We know that. So it's so important that we cultivate that language of prayer throughout the day. So, 
like I said, let's go back to the context about the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you, as you know, Jesus was victorious in all what he did. Um, and um, he, Jesus was a man of prayer. We all know that God was a man, Jesus was a man of prayer. He prayed throughout his time on, on this earth. He was continually communing, having communion with his Father God. Continually, day and night, he was having communion with Father God. And, um, you know, we just look at the scriptures, how many times he spent in hours in prayer. In Matthew 14, verses 23, he's, he's, it says, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was, he was there alone. So he spent quiet times with the Father God, alone in evening times to pray. Another example, Matthew 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 4. After leaving them, the disciples, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Mark 1, verses 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Lucas 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went up to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So you can see, he was a man of prayer. And um, we know that Jesus on earth had a victorious life when he walked on this earth. We know that in Matthew 8, in his, his, for example, the, the, the victorious things he did, he calmed the storms in Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27. He healed many in Matthew 5, verses 29 to 31. He cast out demons in Matthew 28, and obviously that's just examples in the scriptures, Matthew 28, verses 28 to 34. He raised men from the dead. We know the stories in Luke 7 and in Matthew, in Mark chapter 5. He had wisdom beyond his enemies. He was able to fathom all their sort of trick questions. He was able to answer their questions, their trick questions. They couldn't fault him. He was just too good for them in terms of the questions they challenged, the questions they asked him. They, his wisdom was from, from God and they just could not challenge him. He had love and compassion to the very end. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he had love and compassion even to the very end. And we know that even on the cross, what did he say on the cross? Father, Father forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So that is his love. That's the victories he was having throughout his time on earth. So imagine the picture. You see the disciples realizing Jesus is living such a victorious life. What's his secret? What's the secret of his victory? How come he, he can do so many great, um, great miracles? How is he so victorious? So they must have talked among themselves. So where does this man get his power from? Where is his source of strength? So one of the disciples came to him, Jesus. Teach, uh, then, they must have, then they must have concluded his source and strength is in his prayer life. Because they see him walk time and time again, going secretly to the Father in the evenings, at night time, spending hours with the Father in prayer. 
So they realise his strength, his victories came about through his prayer life. So that's why one of the disciples said to him, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because we can see that you have the power, the strength, the love to do so many great miracles. And basically they're saying, we want that victorious life. Just as you are walking victoriously, we want to also live that victorious life. And they knew the secret of his victorious life was through his prayer life. So that's why one of the disciples approached him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so that's where the context of the Lord's Prayer came about. It was not come out of a religious recital from the, you know, it's not come out of that. It came from the disciples observing that the Lord Jesus had a victorious life and they wanted to know where he got that power and strength from. You know, in this, you know, Samson, you know, the man who had the great strength, you know, sometimes it's a similar kind of situation because the, you know, the um, people trying to bring him down were saying to him, where does Samson get his great strength? Where does Samson get his great strength? And we know the story. Obviously, his great strength was in his hair, wasn't it? All right, that's it. And the, and the disciples similarly must have thought, where did the Lord Jesus get his strength from? And his strength was, his power was in his prayer life. So that's what prayer does. It makes us to walk victoriously in our day-to-day situations. And that's why we need to cultivate that language of prayer throughout the day. So, they noted that he had continual communion with God. And it's in that context they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's how the Lord's Prayer came about. Now, like I said, the Lord's Prayer is not supposed to be made just, you know, recital. You know, it was, it was said that the rabbis at the time, you know, when they looked at the, the way the prayer languages, you know, in the, you know, I'm obviously not too familiar, but in the prayer language in the day, you take them, you break it down into themes. You break, you're supposed to break down the Lord's Prayer into themes. So let's just read the Lord's Prayer and, and uh, in Luke 11, In a second. In Luke 11, um, Luke 11, 1 to 4. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, very simple, isn't it? Very simple. But that's a theme. It's not supposed to be just a recital. We're supposed to break it down into certain themes and to understand what each section means. And that's what I want to, to, to and that's what I want to expand on now, because I want you to just get rid of that, get rid of that religious mindset of it, and start to understand what it really means. So I'm going to try and break it down that Lord's the Lord's prayer into what it's re, I believe what it's really meant to be. So 
The first thing we need to understand, our Father. That's the first bit, our Father. We all need to understand and to deeply grasp the fact that our, that our Father is a good Father. Our Father is a good Father. Because this, this is very important about the Lord's Prayer. If you don't understand that our God is a good Father, it's going to, it's going to, it's not, you're not going to find it easy. You're going to quite not get it because you haven't got to the first fundamental truth that our Father is a good Father. I know that we've all had various backgrounds what our natural fathers are like. We've all had various stories, good, bad, and the ugly. We all know, we've all been there. But you need to understand that our Heavenly Father is a good Father. That is fundamental in your understanding of who our Father is. If you think he's a Father who's ready to get a stick to beat you just when you do something wrong, you have totally misunderstood who our Father is. It is totally important you understand he is a good father. Let that go deeply into your soul and your spirit that our father is a good father. His force of, over you is love. His force over each one of us is love. It really it is love. It is not a hard taskmaster. It is love. He wants to spend time with you. Like any good father, he wants to spend time with you. That's what a good father's like. This is why it's so important to get, don't try to correct your natural father with the heavenly father, because you're going to come unstuck with that. He, our heavenly father, he loves you, he's been over you, is love. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to share things with you. You are his sons and daughters. He wants to strengthen you to become into the reflection of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to, for you to grow and mature into your full beautiness. And he wants to see Jesus shine through you. So he wants to strengthen you and he wants to mature, mature you so that you can become that bride to the bridegroom, to the Lord Jesus. That's what he's, that's what he's trying to do. That's what he wants us to, he wants you to grasp what kind of father he is. So it is very, very important you understand that he's a good father because it's going to screw you up if you can't get to that truth. You know, remember this story that Mark Johnson gave, don't we? You know, when he said that, um, I don't know if you, I think you all know Mark Johnson. And he gave the story that, um, you know, he went to go into his son's bedroom and uh, he just knocked on the door and he said to his son, um, is it, okay, you know, is it okay for me to just to spend time with you? You know, just to see how you are. And uh, his son said, I'd love to, Dad, but I haven't got time. I'm too busy. And that's sometimes how we treat our father, isn't it? We don't have time to spend time with him. And it's a simple story, but, you know, even Mark, when he said the story, that how the spirit convicted him that that's what we're like to our heavenly father. We don't spend time with him. We don't spend enough time with him. And he's wanting to spend time with us. So you need to grasp the fact that he is a good father. He loves you. He wants to protect you. He wants to mature you. And just like a good father, he wants to be with his sons and daughters. So, there you get to the true understanding. When you say, my, my, my father, you come and you see that helps you, isn't it? My father, if you understand he's a good father... 
you're more likely to want to come to in, into his presence, don't you, in prayer, because you've got that fundamental truth that he's a good father. So that's important. The next section, hallowed be your name. This is where we take time to honour the name of our Father God, to honour the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship him, to revere him. So when we say, our Father, hallowed be be thy name, hallowed means to bow down in reverence, in honour, in worship. This is where we can just spend time just worshipping him in our quiet times and as we do corporately. To just to re- reflect on the, on the nature and the character of God. Adonai, El, Elohim, Elohim, El Shaddai. Just some of the, you know, sometimes, you know, he's the God of Israel. I like to just bring up the Jewish name just to remind him who, who he is. You know, he is all of these things. We know about the character, the character of God. Remind him of who he is. Remind him of his love. Remind him of his mercy. He's a good God. Just remind him, thank you for whom you are. A God of mercy, a God of love. Bring them up to the throne room when you're in your quiet time. Put that music worship tape on and just worship him. Just see? So when you're doing that, you're doing that, you've got the right posture. You, Our Father, he's a good Father. Hallowed be thy name, the worship, the honour, the reverence. Then you've got God's attention. Haven't you? You've got God's attention. Because it says in, um, we know that in Psalm 100 verse 4, we enter his gate, he enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And that's what we're doing, aren't we? See? We're coming into the presence of God. We're coming into his throne room. So the next, so just take time. And if you just do that, you see, that throws out the just religious massage, doesn't it? You're just spending time with him. He enjoys your presence. He wants to spend time with you like a good father. I'm going to keep coming back to this theme, the good father, because it's so fundamental. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is where we put God's kingdom come first before everything. Your kingdom come. Your will be done first. And... uh, it's very import, important that we put the, you know, the, the right, in the right order. First of all, your kingdom come. And uh, we need to know what God's kingdom is. We need to know what the, plans of God has, what the plans God has for each one of us. There are written in heaven books for our, over our life. In the courts of heaven, there's, this is what I've called Richard Lewis to do on, his, on earth, on his time on earth. This is what I called him to do. This is what I call, he's got books for each one of us. We need to understand what is his will for our lives. We need to earnestly pray to the Father God. Now that you know he's a good God, we can pray to the Father God, Lord, there are books written over me in heaven. I want them to be manifested here on earth in my life. What have you written about me? May they be manifested. So I'm praying earnestly, Lord, your will be done in my life. For your kingdom come. There's books written about me. There's books written about each one of us. Do you want them to come and to be manifested in our lives? Because that's why we're focusing on God's kingdom. So it's so very important that we say, Lord, what is it you called me to do? Why why have I been created for this time? We all, we say, we have been born for such a time as this time. We all know that. But why? We need to understand why. What is it that you're called me to do? We don't need to be running around 
seeking the word of knowledge. God has said we need to understand what we're called, called to do. We need to bring it down. That's why we're called to pray to the Father God, who's a good father, to know what our calling is. He wants us to know what our calling and what our destiny is. We don't need to be second-guessing what it is because he's a good father and he wants to reveal it to us. But we need to earnestly seek it, don't we? We don't need to be, oh, well, come and go. No, not come and go. Lord, what is it? So that I can fulfill it. So that I can fulfill it on earth. You know, it says in Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We, continue, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every, in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So that's in Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11. And it is God's will for you to know, for him, you to know what's your calling, your destiny and purpose. He wants you to reveal it to him. He, he wants to reveal it to you. Because you have been created for a time such as this. So, so this is where we, like I said, go into our prayer, prayer, cabinet, prayer room and just pray, Lord, reveal to me what my calling is. And he will reveal it to you. And he will speak to you. He will speak to you. You may not hear the Bert, Bert Lancaster, you know, um, Bert Charlton Ch Ch Heston kind of voice. You may not hear that boom, you know. But he will speak to your spirit. God is spirit. And he will speak to your spirit, man. And it may not, like I said, be like a, sometimes not always like an audible voice. But in your spirit, God will reveal things to you. Things that he'll lay on your heart, things. He'll start to manifest things onto your heart. I say, oh, where did that idea come from? Where did that thought come from? God is trying to pin the thought, you know, the plans he's got for you. And he's trying to reveal it through your heart, for your spirit man. So this is why we take time to discern and wait what the Lord is saying to our spirit man. And then we can get a grasp of, this is what God's called me to do. You get it. And it becomes part of you. It becomes part of you. So we need to earnestly start seeking, what is your, what's my, God, what are you called me to do for this time and season? because there are books written over, you know, over you in heaven. You know, we've all got, you know, if you think about our jobs, you know, when, at work, you know, I, actually, I work at Rolls Royce, and at the beginning of the year, I'm being given a set of objectives to say, right, Richard, for this year, you, you have got to do X, Y, Z. You know, this is the objectives you've got for the year, and then I'm going to be measured how I performed at the end of that year. You know, that's the work environment, isn't it? Is that... Okay, so in, like at those words, you know, so at the beginning of the year, you're giving your objectives. And then you say, right, this is what you're called to do for this year, and we're going to measure your performance. You know, on-time delivery, did you get the suppliers to perform, X, what, you know, those kind of things, your objectives. And then the manager gives them to me at the beginning of the year, then at the end of the year, he says, right, let's see how you performed against those objectives. And then whether you were successful or not, it will depend whether you get a pay rise, or not, or whether you go into development. <laughs> You've got to add. So you're going to be rewarded or otherwise of how you performed against your objectives, aren't you? And that's what it's like in the heavenly realm. God has written scripts over your life, 
And then you are going to be measured against those objectives. You will be measured for those, against those objectives. So it's, it's important that you grasp what those objectives are, isn't it? Because you're going to be measured against them. So it's important for you to know them. So, and because he wants to reward you. You want to hear from heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear. Well done, good and... So you need to know what they are. So pray them in. Pray them in. Because he's a good father and he wants you to know what your, his plans are for you. Do you see why it's so important to understand who the good father is? So, may we grasp the need to understand what God's calling is for us, our lives. Because he wants to reward you. you, you know, we want, I want to hear the word, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. And, and, and the thing about work is, if I do something which is not in my objectives and I do it, I might do really well. You know, other people might give me credit, but at the end of the day, God won't mess You said, well, I didn't tell you to do that. I was, that wasn't on your objectives. I told you to do this. So all the other work I did, and I might have been did it well, somebody else would get the big thank you, but in terms of my objectives, my, body, my manager, he said, well, I didn't ask you to do that. That wasn't on your objectives. Well, why did you do it? And that's all wasted, isn't it? So that's why we need to focus in on what, those, what God's called us to do. So you don't do things what he hasn't called you to do. Because you might think you did really well, but in the heavenly realm, well, it doesn't count. No value. Well, doesn't, no, I asked, this is what I called you to do. All the other stuff was wasted. So, you know, we're all busy people, aren't we? We need to focus in what God's called us to do and do that and nothing more. Do what the Father tells you and nothing more. So that's why we don't get sidetracked. So, so, they, so when we say, seek you first the kingdom of God, now you get a better perspective what it means, seek you first the kingdom of God. So we need it for our lives to know what God's called us to do. We need it for us as a church. What is the God's calling for us as a church? We need to spend time. Holy Spirit, what is it you call us to do as a body, a body here at Bush Farm? We need to spend that time asking the Holy Spirit. We get the blueprint from heaven, what we have called us to do as a body, as a church. You've called to do, uh, right, as a body, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. We want the Rima word now for what, what God has called us to do. We need to know that Rima word as a corporate body. You know, I'm just, you know, I know that Heidi spoke in terms, you know, yesterday we were at the prayer meeting. And we said, well, should we not go into the community and, you know, and invite them for a Christmas event of some kind? Carols. Christmas carols. The thing is, as a, and it's not criticism of anything here, but all I'm saying is we should be getting a download the blueprint of the, of the Holy Spirit to say, right, I want you to go, I want you to have a, a carol service. It should, it should be, the Holy Spirit should be revealing to us and then we then carry out what the Holy Spirit says. So you might say, right, I want you to do a carol service and invite the people around here, send some leaflets out and, let them, and invite them to do a carol service. And while you're doing a carol service, preach, preach the gospel. and Because I want to do mighty things. I want to do some healing. I want to do some deliverance. See, we get the download of the Holy Spirit to tell us what to do. So we're not second-guessing. But we have to spend time in prayer, corporately, as well as individually, to know the blueprint of what God is saying to us. So, once we start to pray for our kidney camp, also our families. We've got our families. Do we know, you know, we need to pray for our families in terms of God's plans for them as, as, as an individual. 
what is God's plan? Lord, they may not be in a position to know for themselves directly God's plan, where they are at. But you can pray. You can pray for, Lord, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. I pray for my husband or my wife. Lord, reveal to me, my, your will be for them, come be manifested. You earnestly pray to the Father God and say, Father, I want their, the purpose that you've given for that person to be manifested in their lives. I pray, I cry out to you, Lord. Their life will have value in your eyes. We earnestly pray for that. Our brothers, our families, our sisters, our husbands and wives, for their, your kingdom come, your will be done for their lives. We need to earnestly, earnestly pray for that to come about. You know, I remember Brother Sado, his brother, um, he had a, yes, Dr. Steve Francis now, isn't it? He had a brother, um, obviously when Brother Sadu came to know the Lord, um, and his brother at the time, his younger brother, was unsaved. And so Brother Sadu spent time and time in prayer, in fasting and praying for his brother, for him to come into the kingdom. So he's praying, he's praying, he's praying, you know, obviously he's, at the time his brother was into all sorts of things. But he was praying, he was crying out to God, he's, your will be done for my brother. He's praying and praying. Because the enemy doesn't want his will to be done. The enemy, the battle, not against God, it's against the enemy. Because God, the enemy does not want that person's will to be manifested. So that's why we have to fight. We're fighting against the principalities in the heavenly places who do not want that person's, God's will to be done in that, in that person's life. That's who we're fighting against. That's why we need to earnestly continue in wrestling in prayer for that person's life so that God's will be done in that, in that person's life. So Brother Sadu's brother, God, you know, the Lord is, you know, using Brother Sadu to pray for his brother. Pray earnestly, fasting and praying continually. And then all of a sudden, um, there was a church meeting that his brother want, wanted, just all of a sudden wanted to go to. And uh, he said that there's this typical, just a local church um, his brother went to. And... Um, the guy just preached the gospel and then he said, I want to give my life to the Lord. He just wanted, all of a sudden, the breakthrough happened. His brother said, I just want to, I just, all of a sudden, he said, I wanted the salvation. Where before he's living a rebellious life, all of a sudden he said, I want to accept Jesus Christ. And he became, you know, so he accepted, he, he, um, accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and his life is now transformed. He's a real warrior now. He's a warrior, he's one of the generals in terms of God's kingdom, in terms of He's a real warrior, prayer warrior, in teaching Dr. Steve Francis. He really is a man of God now. If you see him now, well, you know, you maybe come to his bushfire one day. You never, you know, it could be, it could be the case. Andy's met him. And um, his life has been, if you see him now, he's a real man of God. And that came about because his brother started to pray for his brother continually for his, God's will be done in his brother's life. And now he's seeing the fruits of that being happening. And his brother's really rising up to be a real man of God. So this is why we need to continually, your kingdom come, your will be done. We need to continually do this for our family, for our church, for us individually, for us to walk in the perfect will of God for our lives. You see how that Lord's prayer started to dis disappear now, isn't it? He's getting a different perspective. So we pray for individual, we pray for our lives, we pray for our family, we pray for our church. The next one, give us, give us each day, day our daily bread. This is all about God's provisioning. You know, we need to be dependent upon the, on the, on the Father God, on the Lord Jesus, for our spiritual as well as physical well-being. 
We need to acknowledge that all things come from God. Give us each day our daily bread. So we should be coming daily. We know that bread means the word of God. So we should be daily eating the word, meditating on the word, being strengthened on the word. That's our daily bread, isn't it? We wouldn't not stop to eat natural food. We need to eat that, the word as well. That's our daily bread. Give us each day. So we can start to pray for our needs as well. Give us each day our daily bread. Also means our needs. God knows what our needs are, but because he's a good father, we can go to the father and say, Lord, help me. You know, I need provision for this. I need provision for that. He wants to hear our prayers because A, we put the kingdom first and then we put our needs second. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added unto you. So we're putting the right order, the kingdom of God first, then our needs. But because he's a good father, we can come to him and ask him to help us for provisions, for food, for jobs, you know, for things that we need. He already knows what we need, but he, we can go to the father and ask for those things. And uh, just want to make a point here. Sometimes, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Sometimes, you know, um, people get into situations where they don't know what's happening in their lives. Confusion reigns. And they said, and they asked us for money, asked us, for, help me out, help me out. It could be sometimes they haven't really put the kingdom of God thing first. You know, there's no point helping somebody, or, you know, obviously we need to be caring, or, or naturally caring. But if somebody, you know, is walking around and, you know, says he's a Christian and he says, I need help for this, I need help for that. The priority need, the priority is what's God's will for his life. You need to understand what is God's will for that life. So just giving, giving, giving without, you know, yes, we need to be caring, but we need to be praying for that person. God's will be done for his life as well. So that if he puts the kingdom of God first, then all the other things will come, come about as well. So if he, that person put what God tell him to do first, then his natural provisions, things that he need, will be provided for. So sometimes just trying to be helpful it's, you know, we can, we can be sometimes too helpful sometimes. We just need to put, okay, let's get a godly perspective. Are you seeking the Lord? Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Just need to be mindful of that. The next one. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This, that, thank you, Andy. This is very, very, very important. I cannot stress it enough. This is very important. We must, on a daily basis, learn to forgive. Otherwise, God will not forgive us. It is very serious. We need to have a heart of forgiveness towards other people. We must learn to examine our heart on a daily basis and see if there's any offence. We all need to do that. We all have issues in this area. We need to come daily and ask for God to give me the strength to forgive that person the offence they might have caused. We need to come daily to the throne of God and say, Lord, is there any wicked thing in my heart? Let me forgive that person. Give me the strength. I forgive that person. And we need to forgive from the heart. We need to forgive from the heart. We know the picture when the Lord Jesus Christ died on that cross. When they crucified him, what, he, what did he say? Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He forgave them on the cross, despite all what he went through on the crucifixion, at the crucifixion. How much more should we be forgiven people who might offend us, 
We cannot afford not to have unforgiveness. We cannot afford not to have it. So we must keep short, short accounts with God and man when it comes to unforgiveness. We must keep short accounts. The scriptures are clear. We, we don't forgive. The scriptures are clear. If we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. It's clear on that fact. We must continue to lay our hearts before God in prayer and see whether there's any offence in us. And also that, you know, God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. He's a good father. Coming back to the good father bit. He wants to bless us. He cannot bless us if there's unforgiveness. He wants to bless us. So we get God's blessing and we learn to forgive. Because he's also a merciful and forgiving God, as we all know. So if we have those attributes of, unforg- you know, of forgiving people of, of offences, having that heart of love towards other people, not being offended, just how beautiful the church will become. No bitterness, no division, no strife, because we have a heart of love towards one another. That we don't have any offences towards one another. See, if we, keep, if we keep short accounts with God and with man, we become one. We become one as a family, don't we? One body. No strife. Hard work, not giving Andy a hard time sometimes. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but how beautiful that picture is, isn't it? You see how beautiful that picture is of unity and love and peace. And that's how God wants it to be. Now, like I said, we must learn to forgive. But there are consequences if we don't, for- if we don't forgive. There are consequences. And I just want to just read... Um, we know about the um, unmerciful servant. I'm just going to read the book of Matthew 18. And I just want to come to a piece of scripture about this because it's so important that we forgive because if we don't forgive, there are consequences if we don't forgive. So I just want to read the scripture, Matthew, Matthew 18. Yeah, 21. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Okay, I'm just going to read it. And there's a piece of scripture at the end which I want to bring to your attention. So, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be, to be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. This, everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred dinara. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant servant in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And the point I want to say, the bit I want to just highlight again is the last section. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That last sentence is a warning for us all. This is how our heavenly... He's a good father. He is a good father. It's not puppy love. It's not puppy... But he's a good father. He's he's bad over you. He's loved. And he wants to give you the blessing that you're preventing that blessing from coming about if we have unforgiveness. And the thing is about this, it says, the word says, we will be tortured over, we will be turned over, and this is what could happen as a Christian if we have unforgiveness. We could, you know, the, the, God allows us to be turned over because we have unforgiveness and he's un- unable to forgive us. We could be, you know, the demons can torment the Christians. It could happen, oppressiveness can happen because we have unforgiveness. Because we have allowed that unforgiveness, that's blocking God's blessing, and that we have now been handed over into, into the hands of the enemy to oppress us. That's why you sometimes, unfortunately, see Christians with oppression, suicidal, you know, mind problems. It's because, sometimes, not always, I don't say generally, no, but sometimes it's because there's unforgiveness, because he's been given over to be oppressed by the enemy. And that's a very, very serious warning, you know. And that's why it's so important for us to learn forgiveness. And that's why we come to the throne of grace. That's why we come to Father God and say, Lord, help me to forgive. Give me this strength to forgive. Help me in this. He's our example because he's able to forgive. He's able to give us the strength and the grace to forgive others. We could come to him for help because he's a good father. And that's why you've got that, that basics. He's a good father. If you've got that as a, you know, as a rock, that helps you in all your prayer language, doesn't it? So, unforgiveness, we must deal with the issue of unforgiveness. It's very important. And if you sometimes see Christians who are having oppressive mind problems, oppressiveness, suicidal thoughts, maybe, in, you know, don't just say, is it because you're unforgiveness? Don't do it like that. But what I'm saying is, be prayerful about it. Is it because of unforgiveness? You know, ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. Is it? You know, is it unforgiveness? Just maybe, just touch. Is it unforgiveness? You, you might get a reaction. But it's that. That could be an issue. That could be a key there. But do it, obviously, sensitively. And not just... <laughs> okay. So be mindful of that. So we must forgive as the Lord Jesus forgave us. We must, must do it. The next one. And lead us not into temptation. Now, on this one, we all know what our weaknesses are. We know individually what our 
weaknesses are, the things that we fall on. So when it says, and lead us not into temptation, we do not have to wait until we fall. We can be proactive. We know what our weaknesses are. I know what my weaknesses are. So don't just wait until it happens. Let's be prayerful. If you're in a prayerful manner, if you're praying, continue with the Father, we can say, be proactive and say, right, I'm going to pray over my weaknesses. I'm not going to wait for them to, for me to happen, for me to fall. I can be proactive in praying over them now. So I know, oh, this, week, this is a, a weak issue in me. So my daily prayer time with the Lord, I can pray, Lord, strengthen me in this area. Strengthen me in this area. Strengthen me in this. I know I'm weak. Help me, Lord. Help me. So we can go to the throne of grace now and ask for help. Don't wait until uh, we fall. Be, we can be proactive, you see? So we can, you know, so we can cry out to the Father, help me, strengthen me in these areas. You know my weak spot. Help me, Father God. So we can come to that phone to ask for help. You know, we know the this, this story about a Peter, don't we? Apostle Peter, when he fell. You know, the Lord warned him, Peter, you must pray. You know, we know the story, don't we? How Peter fell three times, you know, fell three times. And the rooster cried out. And, and, the, and we could take, learn lessons from that, from the story of, of Peter's fall. The lessons being, he was not disciplined to pray. The Lord Jesus warned him, Peter, pray. Peter, pray. He, the Lord Jesus warned him to pray, didn't he? Because the enemy wants to shift you like wheat. He wants to shift you. Pray. But we, he didn't, did he? Not enough, anyway. And he fell. But he, so God warned him, so God, to being proactive. Now is the time to pray over your weaknesses. So just like the example of Peter. So when, um, when, the, so when the times got tough for Peter, he followed Jesus at, at a distance. He went at a distance. So when Jesus was taken to, to the chief rabbi, you know, towards crucifixion, Peter stood back. He's, he's, he stood back, didn't he? he? He followed Jesus at a distance. Again, he's going back because his inner man wasn't strong enough. And we can be do that. We can start to go back, fall back into the things of this world, fall back, get, walk, look at Jesus at a distance, walk at Jesus with a distance. We do not need to be with him at a distance. We need to be close with him. We need to be intimate with him, not at a distance. See, the pitfalls we can fall into. He followed Jesus at a distance. And then he warmed himself with unbelievers. The, the metaphor, he warmed himself with, you know, with the fire, with the other unbelievers, sit, looking at Jesus at a distance. And he went back into what he was familiar with, back into the old way, you know, back into the old man. We can always do that sometimes, can't we? When we're looking for comfort and warmth, we don't go to the Father God, we sometimes go back to our old ways. You know, we, we all, you know, this is one of my weaknesses, what I've got to deal with. We all tend to, tend to go back to our old ways of doing things, what comforted us in the old days, when we were the old man, as comfort. But we need to grow in, in, into maturity, not to go back to our old ways when things get tough. But if we have spent time with the Father God, we will be able to overcome. We'll be overcomers and not to go back when things get tough. And we all know things are going to get tough, don't we? We all know that. I don't need to preach to you guys about the, in the days we're living in. Things are going to get tough. That's why it's so, importantly, so important now that we spend the time with the Lord. Now we build up that intimacy, build up that prayer life. Take heed the, the warnings that Jesus gave to Peter. Now or else you will fall. Or else you will fall for what's coming. And this is, you know, in the last days, persecution is coming. In some nations, persecution is already, around, it's already there. We've been fortunate as a nation in the UK, we have not have to face persecution. 
been so fortunate. But we, tough times are coming. But we need to be solid as a rock in the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence the reason now, build up your prayer life now. So when the storms come, like that rock, we are solid on, because we come under the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the intimacy, that solid rock of the Lord Jesus to withstand the storms. When the house came, it knocked the house down. We know the story. So this is why we need to continue to come to the Father in prayer, to build up that prayer life now. So, I'm hoping that's given you a different perspective of the Lord's prayer. There's a lot in there, isn't there? There's a lot in there. And um, so please, when you look at that again, Luke 11, verses 1 to 4, take heed what I've just said to you. Go through those themes. You know, you can spend hours, you know, you can, you know, whether you've got time or not, just build on those themes. Because once you start to build on those foundations, you become, you know, in some ways you become like Moses, where you just come into the throne room of, throne room of God straight away. You don't need to go through the, you know, I'm just giving you the, the themes. But your posture, as you keep doing it, you have a posture where you just bow down and all of your language is, is in line with the Lord's prayer. And you bow down and you come into the presence of God straight away because you build up on those foundations. You, my father, how have you done that? You build up on all those foundations. So when you go, you know, have your posture and come into the presence of, into, into the prayer room, your posture is already like that language in the, in the Lord's prayer. You come straight into the throne room because you built that language of prayer. It's built, so you come straight. So, I would encourage you to look at the Lord's Prayer again with, with a new first set of eyes. And remember, our Father is a good Father. He wants to commune with you. Get rid of this old image of Father with the stick, the wrong image. He is love. He's banned over you. He's love. He wants to protect you. He wants to mature you. He wants you to be, get that become that bride, ready for the bridegroom. Amen. So, I hope Amen. that you've enjoyed that. So be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Richard.